Hey there, people of the internet. Hope you're having a fantastic day. Welcome to episode 10 of Spirited Talks. And boy, do we have a special episode for you. If you're new here, subscribe to our show wherever you're listening to this podcast to stay up to date. We're just regular people like you trying to make Jesus and the Bible more relatable. And we'd love for you to be part of our growing community. If you've been tracking with us, then by now you know that we've been talking about the subject of freedom. And last week we spoke about our own spiritual freedom from sin. If you haven't heard our episodes, then now is the time to stop and go back and listen to them. Today we're looking at freedom from a different perspective. An external or a more tangible sense of the word freedom, you could say. And we have a special guest with us. Together we will explore the subject of human trafficking. So without taking any more time, let's get on with the show. I'm sitting here with my wife and a dear friend of mine. She's a leader, a lawyer. Two of her core values are justice and compassion. She has a heart for people and a very generous nature. And she's also what I would call a modern day freedom fighter. Jonita Menon, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joey. And thank you, Jess, for having me here. <laughs> it's nice to have you here, actually. We just thought, <laughs> we just thought that since uh, we're doing, uh, we're covering or talking about freedom this month, we thought you would be the best person that we could talk to and pick your brains. So we're really happy that you agreed to on such short notice to join us in this conversation. Not at all. My pleasure completely. In fact, thank you for that very, very honoring introduction. I hope I, uh, you know, live, live up to all of it. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I, I get, I mean, I, I, I have gotten a little um, used to being called a freedom fighter and justice seeker. And I think uh, those two words are extremely overwhelming. Uh, but I feel that at, at the end of the day, all of us are, are called to be that in some way or the other. And I feel anyone who uh, speaks for the rights of people or even uh, looks at having integrity or a fair system of justice um, is in a way a freedom fighter or a justice seeker. So, um, yeah, so I, I, I think um, that's how I look at it. And um, thank you so much for, for having me here to talk uh, about it today. Anytime. All right. So let's start with this. Like all good stories, we should start at the beginning. So I would like to know, how did you decide that uh, this is what you want to do, that you want to be, a, 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 say, a social justice warrior or someone who's fighting for the rights of people? So how did you decide that this is what you want to do in life? So um, it's interesting because I don't think there was one major decision point where I said, oh, yes, this is what I'm going to do. Um, I think um, as a kid, especially like like all good stories, something always happens when you're a kid or when you're at that young, impressionable age. And then uh, you kind of hold on to it and take it forward. Uh, for me, I feel I was in some way uh, nurtured to be uh, who I am today. Um, and uh, I know as cliche as that sounds, it's actually true because um, I grew up in a family where, you know, uh, my parents ran their own business. No one was into 
social work per se like you know they they were the kind who'd give who'd contribute to causes who'd help people out um and i think apart from you know like going to church on sundays coming back uh just you know uh talking about how things were wrong in the world apart from that there wasn't any specific action that was made to tell me oh you know you should be doing this when you grow up in fact i think uh, one of the most important things about what what my parents tried to instill in us was you know just be a good person help people out and uh, from there to you know even the work that uh, like the school that i went to it um it was very big on doing social work okay. and it was very um, important to you know be helpful towards other people so i think it all started over there uh then later on when i came to college also um you know a big part of our program in uh, completing like an honors course was to do uh, was to be part of a social involvement program and so um i think at every stage unknowingly uh, i think god god of course knowingly unknowingly to me <laughs> but i think god had just placed these um things in life that would happen that that you know i started becoming more keen and more observant towards social issues uh i i know one of the first things that um i i started doing was in fact like you know just helping uh kids from um, you know uh, uh like from from a poverty po- poverty stricken background in a way uh you know to st- to help them study or or do like little tuition classes with them um and um, it 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 started there it started that small and then as as i started like um going through other things in life i started becoming a little more aware right to the extent that when i moved to bombay and the hostel that i stayed at um it it was run by uh catholic nuns and uh, they also had a school for you know underprivileged children and okay. so um some of the things i used to do in the evenings after coming back from college especially just before exams used to be uh, working with two or three of the girls who needed help in understanding maths or you know a little bit of english work so i think it just comes from like being able to see those opportunities to help people and, and i think that's where it started um of course i mean i i didn't study law immediately with the hope of becoming a human rights uh, lawyer um i had actually studied law hoping that i become a legal analyst um some day like working for a, a a magazine or a journal or a newspaper and uh, be able to interpret laws uh, accurately so that the people outside everyday normal people would just know and understand what were their rights what were their um, you know what were their fundamental duties also uh, duties in a way and also what the duties of the government are towards people so that's where i started it just happened that i also ended up uh, working um, coming to know of an organization that works for the rights of um, sex workers and uh, women who have suffered uh, under commercial sexual exploitation and then from there i think my my world just opened up into another part of uh, you know working for justice very specifically wow that's a lot to take in and you you really have a lot of medals and hats to wear in any given day i imagine 
Yeah, I think it just, uh, I know it, it sounds like a lot, but uh, I'm talking about like almost 25 years of stuff that's happened. So I guess that's why it sounds like a lot. It never happened all together at once. True. Um, so yeah, so, you know, it, it, it and, and that's what I find interesting. I think, you know, uh, it, it's like when you go for a swim, right? You kind of test the waters. You always enter from the shallow side of yeah. the pool and then you get to the deeper side. Um, I, I think that's how it is with anything we do in our life, right? We start in in a very simple and easy, small way. And then uh, if, if that's something that we uh, kind of click with or if it's something that really interests us, it takes us into uh, the deeper uh, kind of, aspect of it so yeah okay so um you mentioned about the fact that god played a part and the nuns growing up in your school uh, i just wanted you to add a little color to that uh, what exactly are, is the role that your faith has played in developing your views or uh, you picking up these making these life decisions um I feel faith played a very big part. And and uh, maybe even before I knew what faith was, I feel uh, just, you know, the uh, the tenets of uh, Christianity, actually, that's what probably came before faith. Um, so, I mean, like any, any uh, Christian household, there was a Bible at home always. Uh, but then there also were these children's Bibles, right? Oh. And so those, those always seemed more interesting. And so, um, so I, I've, I've always been someone who's been interested in books. And uh, there was this time in life that I think, um, you know, every family member decided to gift us uh, these children's Bibles of different sorts. Um, and so it, it came to reading, uh, you know, the Bibles just because there were, there were really colorful, nice pictures and everything in them. Um, and so I, I feel it started somewhere over there, right? Like um, when, when I started reading about what I, what I saw as stories, right? But then later came to understand were, were truths. They weren't just made up stories that were written in a book. Those were actual people who lived thousands and thousands of years ago and, and what they did and, and the kind of faith they had. Um, and to then come to know, uh, you know, by the time, like I was maybe 10 or 11, to come to know that the God that led all of those people is the same God who chose to put me in the house that I was born in um, to have the life that I had. And, um, and you know, to, to just be in a lot of ways very privileged uh, because at the same time, right, I grew up in Calcutta and um, Calcutta's, um, Calcutta is a beautiful city, but the, Calcutta is also very densely populated. I'm, nothing compared to Mumbai, of course, <laughs> uh, but, um, but like, you know, there are a lot of people and there are people from different walks of life, just, just like you would see in any other Indian city. Uh, but the interesting thing that I felt about Calcutta was uh, I, I grew up in a very lovely and posh locality. Um, my parents were, were, I mean, kind and thoughtful enough to ensure that my brother and I had a lovely childhood. We were very protected. We grew up, you know, um, being taken, like dropped to school, brought back home, that kind of a very sheltered life. But at the same time, the same streets we used to get to school and come back also had 
a lot of homeless people on them had little children who were beggars uh, you know who would come and rap at your car window asking for for money or for food and uh, one of the things that i remember was you know my mom um, used to um, like roll down her window and always give these kids like a packet of biscuits or maybe sometimes she would even carry some of my brothers and mine old clothes in her in the car and when she would see them she'd give them like a bag of clothes and i remember my brother used to get very irritated because he'd be like every time we stop at the signal this kid is going to come because he's going to think you're going to give him something and uh, what my mom said then uh, and i think that's what stuck with me the most she was like when i look at these kids i sometimes wonder what if uh, you know one of your cousins or even one of you had been born into th- that family right wouldn't wouldn't uh, we want to help them wouldn't you want to do something and i feel that really uh stuck a chord because while reading the bible um especially when you uh, you know when you look at what jesus also said uh which was do unto others as you'd want done unto you right love your brother uh, love your neighbor as yourself yep. um i feel those things seeing them simultaneously right like when you're reading it in a book and then you see it out there and someone actually puts you in that position where they say you know what if you were in their place right what would you have wanted um i think somewhere that really hit a co- uh, like struck a chord with me um and that kind of became the the driving force of you know uh this is this is what you're 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 supposed to look at life this way you're supposed to look at helping people that's that's what um the christian faith is about uh that's what uh, what we need to do right that's the one commandment jesus left us with yeah. um before he he ascended into heaven and so um that's that's i think that's what it was right like there, there are just so many beautiful sto- like stories of people who've done such great things in the bible um, like whether it's old testament or new um and i reading those stories and then seeing it in little bits like you know uh just acts of faith acts of everyday kindness acts of love towards people i feel that's where you know somewhere the the reality of what what i needed to do with my life kind of came in well that's quite impressive i like how uh, your mother has played such a big part in all of this and i i i was i have two questions that have branched out of this of out of all that you said one is uh, is the fact that apart from the bible what are the books have have played a really influential part in your life and or what books have you gifted the most to people hmm interesting uh so um for me i mean i'm i'm unfortunately maybe i'm not one of those christians who's ever gone about and um told people about uh books by christian authors i don't know maybe it's i, I don't know whether it's something i i just um grew up with see I, as i told you right i went to a um a catholic school and um and i think one part of me has always also been a little wary about i mean you, if you if you hear my name right uh, jonita brito and now menin uh, especially when i was jonita brito it was very apparent to everyone i came uh, came in contact with that i was christian so, so i never had to say i'm specifically christian or anything like that right and oh. so with that also came like a little bit of i don't i wouldn't want to call it prejudice but there is a stereotype right yeah. um and in calcutta where i grew up there was always this thing about you know uh 
oh yeah, Christians, they do things to convert people or Christians give people things in the hope that people will become Christian, you know? And so um, I think that also kind of really restricted me in the way that I would uh, co- communicate or, or interact with people. And so uh, when you asked me about books that I'd gift people, I was very, very careful never to gift a book that was openly Christian in a way uh, to anyone because I never wanted it to be said that. Um, and 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 looking back, I don't know whether I'd, I'd change that about me or not right now, but it's definitely something I am always very uh, conscious about, you know, when, when I'm gifting anyone anything. And so I'll always choose to do something more secular okay. in that sense. Um, but but books that I would gift people. So there's this book by um, by uh, name right now. Um, it's it's called uh, Jonathan Livingston um, Siegel, right? Uh, yeah, that's that's one of the books I've I've gone in and purchased to like you know gift to. Uh, to a, a few friends of mine. Another one is um, Tuesdays with Maury, um, which which also I feel was, yeah, so Jonathan Livingston Siegel is by uh, Richard Bach. And um, Tuesdays with Maury is, is by um, Mitch Album. And there's another book by Mitch Album, which I really liked, which is called uh, The Four, Four or Five People You Meet When You're in Heaven. Um, and those two, those two books somewhere have have been like the kind of books I give people uh, with because I feel that there is there is this bigger commentary about life and about living life well in them. Uh, but I, I'd say that that's that's what I would I I mean those are the kind of books I'd give people. Paulo Coelho's Alchemist is another one. Um, and and so those are the books I would that used to be my go to you know gifting books. Uh, but more recently, I've I've come across uh, Bob Goff, and um, I've been reading some of his work and his book. Everybody always, uh, I think that's really changed the way I look at a lot of things now. Um, and probably, if I had to buy a book for someone, uh, whether Christian or not, that would probably be a book I'd I'd probably buy for people now. Yeah, I I liked uh, The Alchemist a lot because of the fact that. Uh, Koilo Koilo uh, mentions uh, about the king of Salem and about the stones that go on the high priest's uh, garment yeah. and things like that. I loved all those aspects that he brought into the book. And I also like uh, Mitch. I have uh, the first phone call from heaven. And I've also read another book where he talks about time and uh, he talks about Nimrod and things like that. I the name is slipping from my mind but yeah he's a great author i like uh, the way he brings out uh, certain messages it's it's really nice yeah i i think that's exactly as you said right like even uh, in paulo coelho's work um, i don't know something and and i think that's i don't know whether you know it's it's about being christian uh, but i think there's always that this this little part of me used to always like root for things that, that <laughs> felt they were closer to the bible or that they that felt they were closer to uh, you know uh, christianity and and so that's why like th- those were the things i think maybe that stuck on somewhere in my head or click somewhere 
for me to be like you know want to like these books or True. want to say that these these were books that someone else should read True. without sounding over spiritual about <laughs> it yeah <laughs> and uh, a sad thing that's com- uh, coming up in my uh, in my mind right now is the fact that uh, we as a church uh kind of always stigmatize these kind of things whereas we should be able to create more art that everyone should be able to consume and enjoy with without drawing those lines of this is christian and so a christian should enjoy this or this is secular and right. you should stay away from this it's it's sad that we've come to that stage but we should be able to produce so much art because uh, i remember talking to becky on a previous uh interview that we had and she spoke about how god is a creator and if we are his children we right. should be able to create and creation has no limits we should be able to create so much art but it's sad that we've come to this place where we draw these lines you know okay this is christian and this is secular and we should <laughs> stick within these boundaries yeah i i i completely agree with you i i feel that such an important um yeah important thing to now look at i and i think uh, it comes with a change of mindset right like um i mean i'm i'm just saying i grew up in in a place where um you know religion was always tried to kept be kept separate in some way from your daily uh tasks um and, and as i said earlier right it it did come because there was this this stereotypical uh concept that that existed and so i think a lot of us uh try to break want to break in trying to break that stereotype we kind of then completely cut off these things and keep them separated and and there's so much need to to make this more you know um fluid right and yeah. and 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 uh, take those boundaries away because you you so rightly put it and and becky so rightly put it and saying that god is a creator and and it's so important for us to create and make good works of art uh, more than like you know trying to confine them between or segregate them as you know this is a spiritual uh, like this has a spiritual theme to it and this has a secular theme yeah. to it honestly like jesus came for everyone in this world and and so um it should just be open and free <laughs> yeah you were also talking about your mother so i i was just wondering do you have a mentor or someone or even an event or an experience that inspired you to shape your world views or your need to fight for other other people's freedom mm. um I mean as I said right I never felt one specific moment in life I I I feel I've been really blessed to have some really amazing uh strong women role models uh for one and also to have been able to come across just in general without sounding uh gender biased or sexist in any way but I have been blessed to have some amazing uh spiritual mentors um and and people who were overall like you know even if it wasn't spiritual always just like overall good human beings um strangely enough yes most of them are christian um and so um i i i would say but like the way they came across to me it it wasn't always you know oh it's because of religion you're doing this right Or, or it's because um, the Bible said so. You have to do this. It's it more it more came from a place where do you feel that this is something that's right that that you need to do, or do you feel that there is something wrong going on that you need to speak about? And I think it came from that 
kind of a place so as i said uh, yeah my mom my mom has definitely been a very strong influence uh, she's not as radical as me in in certain things like she's a very conservative uh, person um, and um, so we we do have our differences um, but i think in in this the area of core values it's very uh, we're very similar that way um i think i get some of my more free flowing ways from my father actually because uh, so where where my mom would be like you know every sunday you have to go to church and you have to attend service and you have to be there on time and you have to dress right and all of those things uh, my dad was more of a person who would say okay sunday is a day you have to pray um but it doesn't mean you have to go to church and pray like my dad was one of those people who would go by himself to church um when there was no service going on and he'd sit there for like an hour or an hour and a half and he'd pray he'd do his thing and he'd come back home um he would go with us to church also but then there used to be his days where he'd go by himself and just sit in an empty church and pray or he'd go to the cemetery and he'd like you know uh, put flowers on the graves of all the family members and he'd he'd pray over there and he'd come back and so um having these two very um contrasting personalities uh while growing up uh made me see things in in two ways and i think that's where even the the people who i looked up to i was i was very lucky to have uh you know a very good um principal in school and um, because as i told you right i went to a catholic school so we used to have catechism for the christian girls and then there used to be moral science classes for the non christians um and so it was in some of those catechism classes that you know a lot of big discussions about you know what is faith what is uh what 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 is uh what are the gifts of the holy spirit and what 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 are you called to be uh you know as as a christian in the world right all of those those discussions used to take place um and and from there i think even you know like my sunday school teacher who i had in when i was in class 11 12 he was a really strong personality who who again i think and i think i found him very similar to my father in that sense um uh, because he would be very like you know let's not get ritualistic about things right let's let's go back to the bible let's read let's find out and let's search and i think those were like definitely people who who really shaped um my way of looking at uh, christianity yeah i also realized that i did use a term called social justice warrior to describe you now a lot of people who are exposed to the news coming out from america when they think about a social justice warrior they'll think about someone with purple hair screaming at someone's <laughs> face so that gives a very negative picture for a social justice warrior so i just wanted you to describe what exactly you do in in terms so that we could define the term social justice warrior in this context right so um i mean i've i've had the good fortune as as you um as you already know i'm i am a lawyer by qualification and so uh, even a lawyer when when someone says they're a lawyer everyone immediately imagines them as someone who's going to be loud and screaming in a court um and thanks to bollywood that stereotype has really become very strong um but um yeah and and again then when you come to looking at a uh, social justice i feel a uh, social justice warrior 
or social justice activist um i, I know there's there's one picture of it that people see and 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 um, and like in any thing in the world right i think you need two types of people you need the kind who will go out stand on the streets and uh, be like little um, greta um, gretas sitting there and and actually being able to catch people's attention uh, but you also need the people who are who are working behind the scenes right who are looking at advocating for policy change who are writing those changes in policy who are fighting those small battles in a courtroom uh, you know who are convincing judges and policemen and uh, social services departments on what things have to be done um so the work that i do and maybe it will give you a, a a clearer picture of what um what 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 our work is like and i feel when you call me a social justice uh, warrior the lady sitting next to you is just as much one um what what jessica does in her uh, in her work as well is is something that that is social justice it 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 makes it makes such a big difference in the life of uh, the girls who she works with um and and so what i would say over here is uh, um yeah so my work primarily i mean it started off as being someone who had to go to court um and advocate on behalf of the victims with the public prosecutor first because the in in our legal system over here uh, the public prosecutor doesn't directly uh, you know defend the case of the victim before the court the public prosecutor actually plays the role of just presenting facts of the case um there's a defense lawyer who defends the accused person and then there's a judge who's listening to both of what these people have to say um and then who decides the case and so often enough there is no real voice of the victim before in a courtroom and so that's where my role kind of got developed um and uh, i i was fortunate enough to like come across an organization that was willing to uh, have lawyers work in this space and supported lawyers like me in doing the work that we do um and so um yeah so my work primarily started that way where i i used to go to court to be able to tell the public prosecutor and often enough it was one of those conversations that had to change the public prosecutor's perspective towards a victim right um uh, for them to first believe that yes the the victim is a person who is who has been wronged in a way and and for them to understand that um so yeah so my work um in, initially was that going to court um being present there being the voice of the victim and all of it and then uh, even encouraging a victim when necessary to come and testify before the court so um that's that's one part of my work over the years now it has changed um and because i work specifically with victims of sex trafficking um the kind of work i do now is more looking at how the system that's the government administrative system looks at supporting victims of trafficking when they are brought into shelter homes and the kind of facilities resources all of that that need to be placed for them to be able to uh, find restoration one and two to be able to sustain themselves once they step out of a shelter home and that's why i said you know the work that jessica also does is so important is because uh, trauma counseling is such an important aspect of restoration unless uh, these women and girls are able to first come to terms and uh be able to uh you know identify the trauma and 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 go past it they are not going to ever be 
restored completely. And so, um, yeah, people like me and people like Jessica have to work together to make things like this happen and, and bring about social justice in our own way. Perfect. Uh, that that speaks a lot, actually. It really opens us up to where we want to take this conversation. Uh, I was just wondering if you could uh, define in your own words, what is the mental picture that you get when you talk about freedom? Hmm. Um, so, the, the, when, I, when I think about freedom especially, um, I see it as the ability to stretch out my arm without, um, you know, boxing the nose of someone else in front of me. That is, that is the way I see freedom, right? Being able to do what I want to do without, um, you know, curtailing someone else's ability to say, stay safe or stay free. And uh, that's, that's how I see it. I know it's not the prettiest picture to paint, uh, but it's, it, that, that's just how I see it, right? Everyone being able to do what they like, uh, living the life that they enjoy, but not stepping on the toes of someone else while doing it. That's, that's my picture of freedom. That's a very egalitarian uh, society that you've painted. And I, I think that's the ideal way to look at it. Uh, and egalitarian yeah. way is the most free society from uh, my point of view as well. So it's nice that you brought that out there. So just to take Yeah, I, I know. And, and maybe it's too idealistic. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Jess. So just to take this forward... Um... Uh, how do you see um, the interplay between freedom and uh, the lack of it in in the field that you work in? You know, like, can you just give our listeners a description of um, the whole sex trafficking industry? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the dark underbelly yeah, so- of uh, the Indian uh, crime network in sex trafficking. In, yeah. Um, so, I mean, when, when I put it in, if, if I come to think of it as like, you know, freedom in the perspective of all the women who have, uh, you know, suffered uh, commercial sexual exploitation or sex trafficking, uh, I would say, you know, freedom for them, um, the way I would like to see it would be uh, them being able to find work without being exploited, them being able to step out into the world without having the fear of being trafficked. Um, And the reason I say this is because, um, so, I mean, in in the past seven years that I've I've worked as a a lawyer for a lot of uh, victims of uh, sex trafficking, I've, I've probably interacted with at least um, 30 or 35 women. I know that d- doesn't make me an expert, but it does, in fact, uh, give me enough to be able to identify what the, the general um, issues faced by these women are, right? Um, so first and foremost, I think what, what people don't understand uh, about sex trafficking is um, it's not always like... And, and now I'm saying this very specifically, it's not always like uh, how we see it in the movies where, you know, women are put into like these uh, steel containers and they are transported from one place to the other or they are drugged and then just like taken away in a black van. It's not always that. There are instances like that, but more 
frequently and most frequently sex trafficking um the trafficking aspect of it like the transportation it takes place under our very noses literally i know of at least uh 15 or 20 women who have told me that they were just sitting at a bus stand when they were approached by a man uh who tells them you know who who begins a very like very friendly conversation with them and says um oh you look very troubled what's the problem and so these women will open up and start a conversation saying you know oh um you know i have i have money problems uh, my my father doesn't have enough to support the family so i'm looking for a job or or there's there's always this aspect where the woman is looking for a job because she's looking to try and support her family right or they don't have enough means and so the trafficker and and this is the recruiter trafficker will uh, give them paint them a picture of something better first he'll gain their trust by talking to them by understanding by by being very compassionate uh, even offer them you know a, a cup of tea or, or a meal and they'll keep talking and that's when he will get all the information he needs to build trust from this woman and then he'll say you know what i know of a great job opportunity it's not in this city you'll have to come to mumbai or pune uh so will you be willing you you'll be able to work in like a garment factory or you'll be able to work in someone's house as a uh, as a maid and you'll earn so much more um or you'll be able to work in a really nice office and so these women because they they think yes okay i need to leave i need to get a better opportunity they will go with this man right as crazy as it sounds to most of us right who would trust some random person but unfortunately in india in our rural areas or suburban areas there's not enough awareness built about the fact that you can't just trust any person who comes along and pretends to be a good samaritan to you uh it it it's just and, and that's that's the sad part right um and so these women come into a city uh where then they are taken to um, usually what is a red light area um and trans- and the, they they transfer hands basically so they move from the recruiter into the hands of a brothel keeper and the recruiter will tell them you know this is my aunt or this is my uh, sister in law this is my relative you okay. need to just stay with her for a few days and i'll come back um and get you and it's there where it starts right that's where the woman is then kept in a a house uh where she is either raped and and um, or she is in some way broken down so that she her will to fight her will to stand up uh it just goes right i i have been told by one of our girls that she was locked in like a confined space of say 6 feet by 2 feet um and and the the height of the place would be maybe about again 2 feet um so it's literally like a coffin right she's pushed in over there and kept there for a week and not given food just given barely like any water so that she just stays alive basically until finally her will is broken completely she doesn't want to fight it and then she she's made to service customers right she'll be raped also in that process multiple times till finally she's realized that this is all i have now uh, i can't go back home i have no one who's going to come to save me and this is my life um and so when i see it like that right uh, you you see the life of these women who have completely been broken to believe that there is nothing else right freedom will never exist for them again there is no hope and um, when when you see that 
um i think or when you hear about that i i've i've only seen the places where these things have happened but i've never seen it happen in front of me i've only met the casualties of uh you know this crime and um but so so when when you see and hear all these stories you begin to realize that you know the freedom that we enjoy is such a privilege again um but it's also such a need to protect that freedom right it's the and and that's where i think my uh my need to do the work that i do kind of kicks in it 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 becomes so much more important where i feel that it's it's a need to speak about the issue uh, a need to and and there were a lot of um, police officers who i met in the past a lot of public prosecutors who never even knew these kind of things happened to women because often enough they think the women who are in red light areas or in brothels have chosen to do the work that they are doing um and a lot of activism around you know uh, uh, what what people very conveniently call commercial sex workers misses out the fact that there is a whole process that is that is is put out there for for these women to go through before they actually become willing to do the work that they are doing it's such a dark picture and uh, i i must say i'm i'm no different from one of those cops or uh, public prosecutors because most of the images that i have about this industry is from things that i've seen in movies or in shows so uh, i i i actually want to thank you for all that you're doing and for actually painting that picture to for us to understand how deep and dark it is i mean till till i started talking to jessica i i was completely ignorant jessica did fill me in in a lot of these uh, details and what you've said has really been helpful as well to shed light in all the darkness the the thickness of that i mean uh, i the darkness is so thick that you could actually cut it it's it's so oppressive and uh, i really thank you for uh, explaining it so that we all can understand uh, everything here yeah i i mean uh, i i think yeah some where i i know i've been like pushed to a place where i feel these these aspects as gory as they sound need to be brought up because unfortunately um as you said right like the 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 movies that you've watched and the media that is out there doesn't often uh, in in some way i feel that you know it's often romanticized and glamorized in a very strange way uh, where people just think yeah this is how it is uh, you know this is how how uh, like brothels function or or this is this is something that a person often has a choice to be part of the the thing that people don't understand is um these women who have been oppressed right like they they must have come into the system um when they were about 16 or 17 or sometimes even younger and and they have a lifespan of being able to service customers say for another 10 years or so at the most after that they themselves have to take on the role of becoming brothel keepers or brothel managers um and so they will look out to see how they can get more women into the trades just so that they can sustain themselves so what was done to them then becomes something they do to others and that creates a vicious cycle in the whole system i i recall one woman uh, who um, was an accused in a case that i was working in uh, when i i stepped out of the courtroom uh she she came to me and she said uh why why are you doing this why are you trying to help you know the victim so i said because what happened to her was wrong 
and so she said you know even i have a family my son is back home with my parents and i've not i've not seen him now for the last one year that this case has been going on i've been in jail who's who's going to help them i i so i said uh, how 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 did you get here and she said oh even i was brought over here i had to do this work and now um i mean it's just it's it it's like you know it's it's part of my job now i have to make sure the work continues because i have to uh, you know feed my family and that's when you know it really hit me that like somewhere you feel you don't know how to end it right like you go to help one person and then there are like 10 other people around you who also need just as much help like there was a big part of guilt that i had to live with when that same woman got accused in in the case right well, sorry when she got convicted in that case and she was given um 10 years of imprisonment the thought at that point of time i wasn't happy that she got convicted um because i was so worried about what would happen to her son what would happen to her parents in 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 the village right like who's going to send them money now what's what's happening to them what will that boy be forced to become a trafficker because that's the only way he's going to be able to earn money like those are the things uh, i i feel you know people who work in the the field that i do that those are the things we are faced with right and some of these things are so beyond our reach um uh, that you know you don't know uh, and and the only thing that stands out in all of it is a freedom of choice right the choice that we make at that point of time to do what we do um and and to be able to see that you have an ability to make a choice with that we've reached the end of this episode i guess this was our first cliffhanger episode ever yeah and it was such an interesting conversation that we didn't want to stop or rush jonita just to fit our timelines so join us next week for part 2 of this conversation in the meantime you could visit our website spiritedtalks.com and check out our show notes we've added amazon affiliate links for the books that all of our guests have mentioned so that way when you buy a book you can also support our vision simultaneously and at no extra cost to you You could also check out our Instagram at Spirited Talks Podcast, where we upload tiny nuggets of faith daily, which you could share with your friends and family. We'd love it if you could leave a review for us on iTunes or our Facebook page. It helps us boost the show and get it out there. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, now would be the right time to subscribe to the show wherever you're listening to it, whether it's Apple Podcasts. Spotify or Google. Once again, join us next week for part 2 of this conversation with Jonita. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.